0: You're listening to OEA Grow, a member-led production of the Oregon Education Association and a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. OEA Grow is by members, for members. Our next guest, our next speaker, former UTLA president, for those of you that don't know the acronym, That's United Teachers of Los Angeles. I I almost forgot. He is a a high school teacher from South LA. He currently works as a community schools coach at LA Unified, a a position that was won through bargaining. He's also a practitioner in residence at the UC Berkeley Labor Center. Uh, For those of you that that maybe aren't aware, so uh, UTLA, has, um, ha- has done some amazing things just in the last few years. He's been instrumental in transforming that union into a real fighting union. And in 2019, UTLA and its, I think, 30,000 or so members uh, went out on strike for about eight days. And uh, that was the first time in 30 years that they had gone out on strike and they had some huge wins. So let's give it up for- to Alex Caputo-Pearl.
1: All right, how we doing? Come on now, how we doing? All right, okay. I want y'all to know first of all that I'm a big college football fan. And uh, are there any college football fans in here? Okay, all right. I don't want to. I don't want to start something here, but um, my my family, my kids, and my wife for my birthday, they got me tickets to the Oregon Oregon State game. Uh, which is happening? What November twenty-first or something, right? Okay, all right, all right. We're not going to get into that. We're not going to get into that. I'm, I'm. All I'm trying to do. We're not going to get into the ducks versus the beefs. All I'm trying to do is make sure that I get some credibility with an Oregon crowd. Okay, so I will be here for that game. Um, so uh, it's great to be here with uh, with Joe and with all of you. Uh, with the, you should give a huge round of applause to your. OEA leadership and staff for putting on a conference like this. So the OEA leadership and staff, uh, great to be here with you all. Um, And obviously, I'm from Los Angeles. um, And part of what we, I was in North Carolina last month. And part of what we need to understand is that we do have different contexts and different details Uh, But we also have a lot of similarities. We've got a lot of similar needs in our schools, in our unions, and we can use similar tools to organize power and to organize to win, okay? Um, So across, so these are some lessons from L.A., but they are broadly applicable, okay? Um, The, I do want to recognize, of course, the Portland Association of Teachers. Give it up for Portland. Um, I'm very proud to have been in some conversations with the folks at uh, Portland. Great, just incredible organizing going on there. Really incredible organizing. Very inspiring to people across the country. Um, Christine Maley, who's one of their more recent additions to the Portland staff, was actually... In 2009, talk about history, Joe. In 2009, Christine was among uh, six uh, Chicago Teachers Union members who was in my living room, and I was making pancakes for them. Okay? We got some rank-and-file caucus folks together across Chicago, L.A. We invited them all to L.A., New York, D.C., and that was a pretty important set of meetings that we had. A year later, uh, Chicago, the, the core caucus would win leadership in Chicago, and the rest is history, as they say, right? Um, so if you see Christine, ask her whether she's had pancakes better than those in 2009 in my living room, okay? And the only, the only right answer is yeah, is no. She has not had better. Okay. Um, so real quick, I want you to take a moment and think about What was the moment in your life where you felt the greatest sense of collective people power? Let's take a minute. What was the moment in your life where you felt the greatest amount of collective people power that you were involved in? Somebody yell something out. What? 2019? Okay, May 2019. Anybody agree with that? Okay. Um, Do we have some others out there? All right, all right. Teacher strike, 2014. Right? There you go, nice. Fantastic. Good. So you got some, you got some examples of this, right? And there is no, there was not quite any feeling like the collective power of people on the street fighting for something that is righteous. Um, And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, Joe gave a great breakdown of, uh, and make sure that you buy Joe's book out there. Make sure that you buy Abby's book out there. Are there other books out there too? Make sure you buy, okay, make sure you buy the books out there. Um, Building off of where Joe went, from 2010 to 2023, so 13 years, Red for Ed, what people typically call Red for Ed, it's about 13 years old. I marked the beginning of that with the Chicago Teachers Union victory in their election in 2010, right? You could could start it elsewhere, but that's where I marked the beginning of it, okay? Um, and now we're at a point where we got to figure out what's the next stage of Red for Ed? What's the next stage of this educator, education worker rebellion and upsurge, which is a real historical phenomenon? Um, and so I'll tell you a little bit. I'm going to give you a couple of details about what's happened in LA, but then I want to end with some things, some places where I think we all can go together in terms of the next stage for Red for Red. So So, um, and it was a, I, I was able to talk with uh, some folks earlier today from Beaverton. We got Beaverton in the room? All right. From Eugene. Where's Eugene? Okay. And from Hillsborough. Where's Hillsborough? All right. So, um, was able to talk with them a little bit. And there's a lot of really great stuff going on in Oregon. You know this and to evolve and we're gonna go through different stages and evolutions of our work. So I'll tell you a little bit about the UTLA story and I'm just gonna jump through a couple of years. We came into office, we ran as a rank-and-file caucus slate in a union that was, and Melissa Case in back, by the way, who got recognized earlier, walked through all of this with us, we ran as a rank-and-file caucus slate in a union that was incredibly low participation, that was on the brink of financial collapse, and was in the epicenter of the attack of the billionaires and the privatizers. And we won. Um, so in 2014, um, one of the first things we did was we kick- kick-started bargaining. We had had a contract that a, where bargaining had been going on for three years, three years, okay? So we kick-started bargaining. We targeted a privatizer superintendent. That was really fun. And within three months, he was gone. He resigned. Okay? So 2014 was a big initial starting point for us. 2015, we got 15,000 people down in downtown L.A. The district was convinced that we were going to strike the next week. We knew we couldn't. 15,000 was pretty good, but we have almost 40,000 members and we knew that we didn't have the structures in place yet to pull off a strike. So we did the escalation as good as we could. We got a great contract in 2015, okay? Um, We also started conversations with the other big locals in California that year. Oakland, San Francisco, San Diego, all of the biggest locals and we said, Shouldn't we be meeting together and talking about a strategy that locals can lead on the issues that we can't win in local bargaining? We can't win more state funding in local bargaining. We can't win charter legislation, charter school legislation in, bargain, in local bargaining. So, shouldn't we start coordinating? So, that was 2015. This was all evolving. We were learning as we go, right? Making mistakes, having ebbs and flows and so on. 2016, we had just gotten a good contract, we needed to take care of the fact that we were on the brink of financial collapse, so we ran a dues increase campaign. And our members, after about 35,000 individual conversations across Los Angeles, our members voted by 80% to raise their dues by 33%, okay? Um, And it was because we had Restored confidence in the direction of the union, right? And that didn't just help us get more money into the union coffers. It helped those 35,000 individual conversations. Helped us build our structures in 900 buildings across the city. Okay? Um, 2016 was also the year that we launched Reclaim Our Schools Los Angeles. A new coalition uh, that would fight around educational justice. So we got to 2017. 2017. And we said, okay, we've done a lot of community conversations about community schools. How many of you all have heard of community schools? How many of you all are fighting for community schools? All right. So we got, so Reclaim Our Schools LA got the LA School Board to pass a resolution in 2017 saying that it would study becoming a community school district. You might say, that's not that big of a deal for the school board to study something and it's not, but is a building block. It is an evolution in how you build all these steps towards winning, right? Um, 2017 was also the year that we invited the Chicago people to come out to our leadership conference. And we said, train our folks on how to build contract action teams. Cats at every single school, 900 schools, okay? So we started that structure building. 2018 was all escalation around our 2017 contract. It's all escalation, escalating actions, pickets at schools, all the stuff you see Portland doing right now. Okay, um, and we got our area steering committees in better in better shape. We've got eight areas in UTLA. UTLA is way too big to not have it broken down, so we have eight areas. Each one has a rank and file steering committee, so we got those in better shape. And then in January of 2019, we went on strike. And we were able to win not only on bread and butter stuff, but a bunch of common good demands, right? We won investment in community schools for the first time. We won an end to racist searches of students that were targeting mostly black and Muslim students. Uh, We won uh, the first green space commitment that LUSD had made, right? So it was bread and butter, and it was social and racial justice and common good, okay? Later that year, you can clap for that. Later that year, and you all probably know this, out of those coordinated conversations with other locals around the state, Oakland went on strike a month after us. That wasn't a coincidence, right? We couldn't quite get it at the same time, but it was the next month. Now, that happened to be Gavin Newsom's first month as governor, which was good. Um, So he had two major strikes in his first month as governor. And so it's not a coincidence that Gavin Newsom has raised spending on schools, has invested in community schools. And in October of 2019, uh, we got the first charter school legislation passed in 25 years in the state of California. Right, and that came out of strikes. that were coordinated and the targeted Sacramento as well as our local school boards. 2020, the mayor of LA, the governor of California, the superintendent all told us, please do not call for the shutdown of schools when, when uh, COVID started. And we, because we had struck a year earlier Uh, We had the moral authority to actually call for the shutdown of LA schools, which we did, despite them saying we shouldn't do it, and damn, I'm glad we did um, in March of 2020. Also in that year, out of the racial justice uprising, we were able to be a part, reclaim our schools LA, was able to lead, and students deserve, and UTLA were able to lead getting cuts to the LA school police force. Okay. Um, 2021, our superintendent, who we had struck against in 2019, our superintendent becomes the best superintendent in the United States on the pandemic. He literally is leading on pandemic safety. Why? Why is he doing that? Because one year earlier we had been on strike and he didn't want to deal with it again, right? and he still owes us for making him the best superintendent in the United States. Um, So, what's that? Okay, that's right, that's right. Um, So, uh, 2022, we expand our bargaining team. 2023, solidarity strike with SEIU Local 99, classified workers. And by the way, that solidarity strike in March of 2023 while it had literally taken us four years to build up to the 2019 strike in a union that was very disorganized before we took leadership. It took us four years to build to the 2019 strike. It took us two months to build to the solidarity strike in 2023. And it's because, and it's because you build a muscle, it's because you build a culture, It's because you build an understanding. It's because members have gotten over fear, right? And they were ready to go in two months. Um, So that's a little history, a quick history. And I I think what I want to leave you with tonight is some ideas on where we go from here. Because 2010 to 2023, red for ed, teacher upsurge, educator upsurge, education worker upsurge, whatever you call it, what's going to happen next? What do we do now? And that's something all of us have to answer together, okay? What do we do to make sure? Because remember, the United States is famous for crushing movements, right? Serious backlash against the civil rights movement, the labor movement, as Joe talked about. Um, What are we going to do to make our power that we've built over the last 13 years durable power? And power that is pushing to the next stage, okay? And so I think there's five things we need to think about in terms of what our next steps are. And I see a lot of them already happening in your discussions here in Oregon. One, we need to really commit to building systems and structures in our unions to build our power, to broaden our involvement, and to broaden decision-making. So all of the discussion of contract action teams and CATS, that's broadening involvement and building structure. All of the discussion of expanded bargaining teams, that's broadening involvement and building structure, okay? In our case, with Reclaim Our Schools LA, we got a practice run in 2019 We got better at it in 2023 in our contract negotiations. We built a structure for how parents and youth and community come to the bargaining table with us and are part of every decision we make on the demands that they helped us shape. Okay? So that's the first one is building systems and structures for power, broadened involvement, and broadened decision-making. Second. We need to create lasting organizational culture change. And this is difficult. This is difficult. Specific leaders, for whatever reason, for a moment in time, because they're charismatic, whatever the reason is, specific leaders can often make organizations move in a particular direction, right? But it is not one leader that ends up creating lasting organizational culture change that will actually be able to sustain over many leaderships, right? And in the NEA world, we have term limits. Term limits are good, but we got to make sure we have durable power and lasting organizational culture change. What do I mean by that? By the way, how do we get to lasting organizational culture change? we get to it by doing stuff. We learn by doing, uh, by actually t- taking on a fight with the employer, trying to expand the bargaining team and learning from it. So we learn from doing, learning, campaigning, training, etc. That's how we create long lasting cultural change. From a service union to an organizing union. That where we are clear that elected leadership has a role, rank and file leadership has a role, staff has a role, right, in any sort of long lasting organizational cultural shift. Um, It takes trainings about the mechanics of organizing. I can't tell you how many trainings we had at UTLA every summer. We would do trainings on the mechanics of organizing. It doesn't sound sexy, somebody, somebody thinks it does. <laughs> somebody thinks it sounds really sexy, that's great. That the, where you are actually training folks on working their list of their coworkers, of assessing their coworkers on a one to five scale, on where they are on an issue, right? So trainings uh, lead to that. And another key component of lasting organizational change um, that often people don't think about is ideological clarity about what the union is and what the union should be doing. We were relentless in UTLA about talking to people about, hey, the union is our vehicle to build collective power to make the employer give us what we want. That is the union. We were relentless about talking about, in a time like now, with all of the history that Joe went over, we don't wait for the fight to come to us. We pick fights. We look for fights to have with the employer. That shape, that is ideological clarity, right? Um, Supermajority organizing, where if we want to pull off a strike like we did with 99.9% of members out, We needed to talk to every single member. We can't talk to the 30% of people that we get along with. We got to talk to 100% of people, right? That's a culture change um, for many of our unions, okay? That we include social and racial justice in everything we do. We center it in our bargaining, in everything. And finally, like Joe said, this is a major thing for ideological clarity on, In terms of overall uh, uh, organizational culture shift, is that we talk about the strike as a weapon that we must use when we have to. Okay, Um, so so this this second element of where we're headed now to make sure that Red for Ed reaches its next stage is lasting organizational culture change. Number three. I think in order for us to figure out what red 4 next stage is, we've got to talk about the role, the continued role of independent rank and file initiative. So for example, when we trained contract action teams as a union, um, that was a great place for rank and file to come together, not just get trained on how to build their union at their building but to share ideas. When we expanded our bargaining team, same thing, right? Creating more spaces where rank and file come in and are able to talk collectively and come up, develop their own initiative. And rank and file caucuses. We wouldn't have won in 2014. There is no way we would have won if we hadn't run as a rank and file caucus called Union Power. I like to chant at the beginning, Union Power. Our caucus is called Union Power. We ran ran programs organizing around the city 2011, 2012, 2013. We got ready for a 2014 election and we were able to win. But it has to be a multi dimensional rank and file caucus. Because once we won leadership in UTLA, the caucus had to help win votes, frankly we needed to win votes at the board of directors to vote to prepare for a strike, to vote to shift towards organizing, right? So a multi-dimensional rank and file caucus that both helps win power and then helps move a progressive, militant, class struggle union uh, vision for the union. Fourth, in terms of uh, where Red for Red is headed and what we need to do next. We have got to look at leveraging key compression points. This is our gravy. Contracts, key compression points. Elections, key compression points. Uh, We've got to look at how to leverage them, get out to as many people as possible during them, and use them to shape the ideological terrain, as well as build our structures as a union. and finally, fifth, in terms of where red Fred is headed, I think we need to look at how do we build power and expand resources on a new scale. And this is what I mean by that. Um, I told you about the dues increase. That was one way we expanded our resources at UTLA. But there's other things that gotta happen with resources, folks. We've gotta have our national unions our state unions, our local unions, investing more in organizing, okay? Um, So it is about building more resources and it is about redirecting resources to organizing and building power. And then on on the building power on a new scale, we've gotta look at coordination across states. You have a beautiful opportunity in Oregon. You've got Portland about to go on strike. You've got other locals that are talking to each other through the pandemic, through other things. This is an incredible moment to coordinate work more, whether that's like, what was it, May 8th, 2019? Whether it's like May 8th, or whether it's like coordinated bargaining, or whatever it is, that, that's one of the ways that red Fred is gonna get to the next level, is looking at new ways to build power at a new scale. Because believe me, our adversaries, whether you're talking about right wing authoritarianism, or whether you're talking about whatever the next repackaged neoliberalism is going to be that is driven by the billionaires, they are always looking at increasing their power over in, and scale, right? How they can influence an entire state, an entire country, the entire world. We got to think the same, okay? Um, so, I'm going to end with this. How many, I started teaching in 1990. How many of you were not born in 1990? Okay, all right. All right, I don't feel that old. It's not, it's not that many of you. So, so, I'm gonna end with this. 1991 was my second year of teaching. Compton Unified School District. Recession, right? Um, Not much of a labor response when it comes to education workers, right? Um, 1996, 1997, 1998, we saw standardized testing on steroids. Who remembers that? Right? That was when a lot of those steroids around standardized testing started to come into that, right? 2002, 2003, 2004, no child left behind, right? Taking standardized tests and connecting as many things as possible to them. Your funding, whether your school stays open, all of that stuff, right? Um, 2008, another recession, more layoffs. Who remembers that, right? 2009, 2010, Obama, Arnie Duncan, Democrats, full throttle going in the privatization direction, right? Who remembers that? right? So over all of those years, a lot of struggles. And then we reach this period, 2010 to 2023, red for ed, educator rebellion, teacher upsurge, whatever you call it. And after those things in the 90s and the 2000s, it's pretty remarkable that we have 13 sustained years now Of some pretty incredible organizing and we got to figure out where it goes next our kids and our grandkids are going to ask us hey you were a teacher right what happened there was like all those rebellions if this stuff if we don't take it to the next stage they're going to say what happened right what happened after 2023 what happened after 2024 right we've got to take this to the next stage looking at some of the elements that I brought up tonight, and I'm very, I'm very confident that here in Oregon, um, you all are gonna be a huge, huge part of that. So this is what I want us to do. If we're ready to take red for red, if we're ready to take the educator upsurge to the next level, I want you to get on your feet. Get on your feet, you need to do that after your meal anyway. Okay? And I see a lot of people who are ready to take it to the next level, and we are going to do a massive unity clap here in Newport, Oregon that is going to be heard over there in Portland for our siblings in Portland who want and need our support. Right? You with me? All right, ready? Here we go. All right, thanks, everybody.
0: OEA Professional Learning Opportunities. Visit grow.oregonad.org